Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Out of the gates and ready to go. Outkick 360 underway. Glad you're with us. The Wednesday edition. Primary complaint coming up in 45 minutes. Later in today's show, Mike Quick will join us, the radio analyst for the Philadelphia Eagles. Can't wait to chat with him. That's in an hour. And Clay Travis joins us each and every Wednesday in hour number three. Bobby Carpenter, Sirius XM college football analyst with us in 20 minutes. Chad, good afternoon. Good afternoon, Hutton. Good to be back with you again here today. Yes. Officially getting over the hump. We don't like to say hump day on this show, but, you know, we're, we're getting Fair there. Fair enough. We're getting uh, there. So, uh, Chad, you are the film aficionado. Yep. In every great story, yep. there is a hero and a villain. Correct. Aaron Rodgers is willing to be that villain that we all need, or at least he thinks we all need, right? Here is Aaron Rodgers, uh, potentially your 2023 AFC quarterback, maybe MVP for a different team other than Green Bay. Here's uh, Rodgers with Pat McAfee. There's heroes and villains in in sports and entertainment, and I think because of my stance on COVID uh, and maybe some other things, I've been cast as the villain, especially the last few years. And so that is the way that uh, you know a lot of things I said are often interpreted. I'm not upset about that. I don't feel like a victim in any way. I don't have that mentality. That's fine. I actually embrace that role a little bit. That's how you want to cast me, but. Um, I did see there were some comments that, you know, I'm only playing for MVPs and yes. stuff like that. Didn't maybe quite see the entire clip of some of the stuff that I said. I don't care about that stuff. It doesn't offend me. I mean, this culture, this woke culture wants to be offended by everything. You just go online and find something you don't agree with. I'm offended. How could you possibly say that? Yeah. There's Rogers with Pat McAfee. Chad, he's both right and wrong in what he's saying. That is initially why he was cast the villain. He's the villain now because we're on rinse and repeat now. We're in the same cycle in the process, just like we were with Brett Favre. It's the offseason of Aaron Rodgers all over again. Yeah, it's... Um, first off, I, I, I think he's completely comfortable playing the role of the villain. I've, I've never thought otherwise yeah. uh, about him. I think even in the beginning, uh, when he was the victim with the Brett Favre back and forth, right? Like it was this, man, we kind of feel bad for Aaron Rodgers because Brett Favre is being this big, bad jerk to him. It won't help him out. <laughs> he this won't kid, leave. All this kid wants is to play football, and he dropped in the draft on draft night and mm -hmm. late first rounder, thought he could be maybe the number one overall pick and this and that. And it's really morphed into it's, it's like the full Favre. Now he's kind of become Brett Favre at the end of his career. Um, I completely agree with him that his stance on COVID has made him the villain to a lot of people that you know should have uh, the ability to have a reasonable brain about certain things and you know see other right. sides of arguments and all of that that can't. You know, people that refuse to vote for Aaron Rodgers because of his COVID stance uh, a year ago no for MVP, and even though they thought he was the best player in the league and. You know, everything like that. He's he's spot on right with that. I, I'll i also disagree when he talks about the woke culture wanting to be offended by everything. I don't know that 
offended is the right word when people take issue with him talking more about MVPs right. than about winning another trophy. Um, I love a villain. We've talked about this on this show a ton, Hutton. I think sports are at its best when there's someone you want to root against. I love that Aaron Rodgers is wanting to and willing to be that guy. My lone issue with Aaron Rodgers right now is that he just comes across as someone that's not fully committed um, to excellence with his team, whatever team that may be, right? There's just a lot of stuff going on that leads me to believe that Aaron Rodgers is really all about Aaron Rodgers right now and not about winning a championship. Do I think he wants to win a championship? Absolutely. Do I think his uh, stance on COVID was way overblown from most media that covers football and he was turned into a villain when he shouldn't have been for his stance on COVID? Absolutely. He was turned into a villain for no good reason on that. Do I also think that Aaron Rodgers doesn't appear to be the greatest teammate at times or all that interested in winning a Super Bowl and nothing else winning a second Super Bowl as opposed to proving people wrong? Yeah, I think that's true too. I think there's... Multiple truths in this story with Aaron Rodgers. But uh, right now, though, in the given circumstance, he's the, you know, it, it's tiresome. Like, make up your damn mind. You're talking about the in and out on whether or not he wants to play? Yes. And for who? Like, it, the, the constant conversation, at least Are we going to say the same about Brady? No, because Brady put it to rest when he said, stop asking me the question. Rodgers is going to go on with McAfee every week and answer this the same way. Um, That's the difference between the two. I, look, I'm not going to crush a guy for talking, right? I mean, Brady's going to have his LFG well, podcast. Well, I'm not crushing a guy for and talking. He's going to say whatever he wants or I'm, just I'm answer sorry, it the one but time. Like, uh, I'm, I'm backing Aaron Rodgers during COVID, and now I'm tired of the guy. Like, I've gone for full circle on this whole process where it's got to be about what is Rodgers doing next. I really don't care. Figure out where you're going to play and let us know. And then get back to us because this saga, I mean, here we are in January and it's last year he signs a $50 million deal. This upcoming season, he's scheduled to wait, what, 60? So they're going to have to restructure it anyway. He gets what he wants and the Packers aren't that good. And now all of a sudden it's about trading him to an AFC opponent, not an NFC team. And here we go down this cycle and process again of how committed he is, who he wants to play for, how happy is he going to be? Is he going to show up for OTAs and minicamps? Is he going to actually be there while they install the offense with the rookies? It's the same thing over and over again, and it's cyclical just like the NFL news cycle when it comes to this time of year. He's, so, he's, he's at the forefront because he's very talented, and yes, he can win MVP. He can win a Super Bowl again, but I'm, I'm just not falling for this, you know, this drama that is so manufactured over nothing. Well, just, it's, it's manufactured by him. But well, that's what I'm saying. Like, um, decide whether or not you're going to return to Green Bay, and then let's talk about Aaron Rodgers, the quarterback. Because, I mean, uh, he's going to go off and you know hallucinate and get his mind right. I mean, we've heard that story before. As one would do. You know, it's like uh, how many how, how many Spider-Man movies can you make? We've how, seen this. before. How many more Blue of Earths are out there? Would be my question. Also, plenty of them. Does he have another Sherpa that he can go to? Maybe a female friend Sherpa that he goes to in South America during this time to get clarity on the next decision. I, I think with that, the quote from that we just heard from Aaron Rodgers about someone needs to be the villain, I'm comfortable being the villain. I believe he believes that. I think he's right when he says that. Here's the other thing. His that family Aaron believes Rodgers, that too. Yes. Here's the thing to Aaron Rodgers, and I'm following up with what you're saying, Hutton. 
Uh, he's also comfortable with drama. I think he loves it. I think he loves keeping people in suspense. I think he loves drawing this thing out. I think deep down he loves people talking about him and wondering about what's next for Aaron Rodgers. I get the sense that this guy loves this. And you're right about that. It's a guy that has not spoken to his family in years. Right. I mean, this is on the record with members of his family. Um, you know, one is a very uh, you know important person in college football media that played football right here at Vanderbilt and Jordan Rodgers. Um, the man seems to be attracted to the drama. But when, when whether the, you look but at when look it's it over his career, drama, it's, got, it's, not it's gotten into that. interesting anymore. I'm very interested in where he ends up playing. I'm going to be very interested with that team. I, I do somewhat agree with you that I feel like we could come back here. By the way, shout out to Pat McAfee. Great job getting Aaron Rodgers on weekly yeah. because it's a big get and everybody's going to talk about every appearance, what he has to say. They did it throughout the season. They'll continue to do it throughout the, the offseason. So great job by Pat McAfee and crew. I also, he's just going to say something different with a different spin every week. So you're right in that. We probably can come back and then dissect what he says next week that may be a little bit different. As someone that hosts a show like this that just wants to talk about stories, I don't mind it if he can freshen it up a little bit. You know, there's a little bit of news here, a little bit of news there. He's saying something different here about this and all of that. But I understand also that we probably need to get some resolution pretty soon in this offseason about whether, A, whether or not he's going to play again. B, is he seeking a trade? C, are the Packers interested in that trade? It seems they are. If, if Aaron Rodgers wants out. And then where is he going to end up? Then we can start talking about those that yeah, team. Yeah, and I realize he was asked the question, so he's answering it. But, I mean, uh, is it breaking news that he says he's a villain because of his COVID stance? No. We talked about it at length last year. So, I don't. I mean, let's just replay the show from last year. Everybody could. That's my overall point. And, and I, I also think that, you know, so, uh, Paul on the YouTube chat says he really doesn't want to be the villain. He likes the attention and being cute with his comments. I'll say this for Aaron Rodgers. I don't know that he's fully comfortable being the villain to everyone or everyone in the NFL. I think he's comfortable being the villain to those that crushed him over his COVID stance. I think he's okay with being the villain to media members and people on talk shows that crush him for that and now crush him for everything because he thinks they're just crushing him over his COVID stance with a new well, issue time and time again. But also, like his final comments to the media in Green Bay when they lost to Detroit in the win-and-in scenario, it's a different version of him than the one that he knows is everyone's going to be watching, which is on the McAfee show. It was a much kinder, more personal yes. version of Aaron Rodgers yeah, he we was, saw with the media. He was the hero, not the villain. He's playing both roles. And he does it when everyone's watching or not watching. He knows. You know how for years... It was the final comment before he left the podium. It's like if you knew you were going on the Howard Stern show. Yes. That you were going to be asked like sexual questions and things you otherwise wouldn't talk about publicly. You just knew you had to prepare mentally that I'm probably going to say something newsworthy (laughs) because Howard Stern's going to ask me the most ridiculous questions and I'm going to have to answer it or it's not going to be a fun, good interview if I don't. He's definitely the villain Um, to Howard Stern. I think you may be on to something, Hutton, that that's sort of the role he's going into the Pat McAfee interviews with, that I'm coming on here to say something every week. Well, he knows that everyone's paying attention to that. Yeah, No one is playing the clip of his, his final, what felt like a final goodbye to the media members and the, the fans in Green Bay. so I he, think we played it on this show, we but did. not everyone yeah, else But, but I, I didn't hear it or watch it until two days after the game, you know? So, like, it's, uh, 
he's, uh, he's the puppeteer. That, and he knows he's in control of the storyline all offseason. So while he's playing the villain, he loves love. I and people he, love the storyline of Aaron Rodgers. He loves drama. We all know those people that just, they come alive when there's drama or conflict in any way. I think he's just one of those people in his personal life, in his public life, in football. The man loves conflict and he loves the drama. Now, what we can say is not manufactured is the hate that Rory McIlroy has for the Live Tour. Because Patrick Reed, who went and, and has uh, plays for the Live Tour versus the spokesman of all things PGA, Roy McElroy. Um, Patrick Reed felt like he was snubbed by McElroy in Dubai at a recent tournament and appears to throw a golf tee at him while on the range. Um, Chad, your thoughts on Patrick Reed, who's known for being, you know, uh, he's not the most well-liked player on tour against the hero of the PGA Tour, Rory McIlroy. Rory McIlroy is completely in the right here. Uh, Patrick Reed sued Rory McIlroy a few months ago for defamation. And that is something that Rory McIlroy talked about in the press conference. If someone sues me, I'm not in any, in any way going to make amends with them when they want to be buddy-buddy on the golf course when we're practicing. I'm not going to speak to them. And if I do, it's not going to be very nice. Roy McIlroy probably took the nice route and just shunning him and not speaking to Patrick Reed. Patrick Reed looks like a fool in this thing. I'm sorry. Regardless of what you think about Liv or Roy McIlroy or the fact that he's actually fatigued, that he is now the spokesman to be anti-Liv Tour and pro-PGA, he said it, it caused him exhaustion a year ago where he didn't want to speak to anyone because all he was asked about was his thoughts on the Live Tour. Mm-hmm. Uh, he sat right up there in the press conference and said, yeah, that's, that's accurate. It's exactly what happened. I didn't speak to him. And he said if I did speak to him, he'd probably sue me, knowing Patrick Reed was his comment And Macro has been subpoenaed. I mean, um, come on. Like, Patrick Reed knows what he's doing when he goes up and does that. And Reed saying, you know, I, I probably wouldn't act like an immature child. How would Patrick Reed react to being subpoenaed or sued by a player on tour and then that player trying to be buddy-buddy with him, he'd probably react worse, worse than Roy McIlroy reacted in that moment. He subpoenaed I'm Roy completely on Roy's side in the lawsuit this. against the Golf Channel. I am completely on Roy's side on this. To shun the guy and not speak to him. And that now it goes beyond just, I hate guys who took the bag and went to the Live Tour. With Patrick Reed, it's a different level considering oh, that he's sure. now involved in litigation with him. Yeah, and again, Patrick Reed is not, the, just based on comments you can read, not the most well-liked player uh, on tour as it stands. Um, there's not much drama, though, that gets played out like that. Rory's willing to go wherever with it, though. And uh, one of the questions he was asked was about, you know, he wanted to wish you a happy new year or something like that. And, you know, if, if, if as time passes... Could bygones be bygones? And he just kind of like, no. <laughs> so he's, uh, I, I believe him in his stance that he's, he's all things PGA. There was it's one, refreshing. There was one video of him in the press conference where you're talking about the guy, he's going through, the, it's a long build the, up to the question. Yeah. And McElroy is just looking at him as deadpan as possible the whole time. And he gets done. He says, if someone comes up to you and you want, it's a guy with a British accent too, but I'm not going to try to pull off his British accent. But he's saying, he's just wanting to make amends with you and wish you a happy new year. And your caddy responded to him and you didn't. Do you not wish to make amends and make this thing right? And, and Roy McIlroy didn't even speak. He just kind of had this. Shook his head. 
whimsical yeah. look on his face and started shaking his head. No, no. And then he took a drink of water and just kind of looked around like, what is, what is going on here with this question? I think I've made it very clear. I have no interest in speaking to Patrick Reed, and I don't blame him one bit. Bobby Carpenter is about to join us. We'll talk some college football headlines. We'll dive into the matchups for this weekend as well. In the NFL, we'll get Bobby's take on his picks for the championship matchups in the NFC, AFC. And uh, a bit later, Clay Travis joins us as well. Outkick 360 just getting started across the Outkick Network. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. From 6th and Peabody with Yeehaw Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine. Now kick 360. Rolls on. Hutton Withrow with you. Joined by Bobby Carpenter, Sirius XM Channel 84, college football analyst and more. Bobby, good to see you, man. Hope things are well. Well, gentlemen, great to see you. And uh, gosh, there's only a couple weekends left of football, and then it'll be sad season until we get the spring ball. <laughs> Who do you like this weekend? Ooh, that's a, a big question there. It's, uh, you know, Philadelphia, like, they're not the prettiest team with how they play, but they're really stinking good. And they've been effective. You know, I, you have two young quarterbacks there. I've been kicking this one back and forth. I would probably give a slight edge to San Francisco, and I think that's just because Kyle Shanahan's a great play caller. If Brock Purdy doesn't turn the football over, I think they ultimately win, and I'm within a very, very tight margin. And then on the other side of it, it's really hard not to go against Cincinnati. They beat the Chiefs three times in a row. They befuddled them in the second half. Joe Burrow looks to be as good as anyone. They, they're playing really good football. Heck, they rushed for over 150 yards last week in a snowstorm in Buffalo. And their defense, you know, has done a good job of figuring out Pat Mahomes. They rushed six. They'll rush three. They'll rush four. They'll rush five. And then also... Pat Mahomes, I mean, I know we were analyzing his walk and his gait in and out of the press conferences and everything else, but, I mean, part of what makes him special is his ability to extend plays and pick up third downs when necessary. And if he looks anything like he did last week, they're going to be severely hampered with his off-schedule plays. Bobby Carpenter, our guest. A lot of former players are now getting into coaching. That seems to be the trend. I don't know of another former player that wants to be a head coach more right now than Ed Reed. Have you been following this down at Bethune-Cookman? And what do you make of everything that, that Reed has said trying to make sure that he can remain the head coach there? You know, it's, it's interesting. I saw some of the stuff from uh, a couple of the players out there just talking about how bad their conditions were, how bad you know their equipment was and everything else. You know, I respect him with Ed Reed trying to get in there and trying to make a difference. And you see guys, that's what you get in the media and, you know, you're involved in football and all this, but you're really not granularly involved in really helping to transition guys and help them out significantly. And I, you know, I look at, you know, Ed Reed taking over the Bethune-Cookman, you know, that's, that's like almost taking a glorified high school job with the resources that you have. And you've got to invest some of your own stuff. You've got to be selling your program all the time. You know, you're trying to convince people 
that it's going to be the place to be while you're trying to improve things, you know, for young men that are out there trying to improve their lives. And you know, my dad coached high school football for over 30 years. And, you know, early on, he's at some smaller schools and, you know, he's, you know, putting in his own money to buy equipment, to help buy kids food and different things like that. And just, you know, always going and raising money and trying to help make a difference. And, you know, you see Ed Reed do that, like, to me, that's what he's trying to do at this point. And, you know, I don't know what the big resistance is there. You know, I, I've seen the story. I've read a little bit about it. I haven't dove into it immensely, just more topically. Um, but I, I can't understand for the life of me why you wouldn't want to help invest in that. And if you have a guy that cares that much, why you wouldn't want to support him. Bobby, from HBCU to Big Ten discussion, are you surprised at how quiet the commissioner role, the job search has been or, or if not, why not? You know, I think a lot of these com- conference commissioner jobs, you know, if you look at, you know, the Big 12, the Pac-12, they both just hired commissioners. Um, you know, obviously, uh, Jim Phillips going down to the ACC last year. You know, I don't really remember a lot when Kevin Warren was hired. I know Jim Phillips was involved and there's some other people. But, you know, I think it's such a unique position that, you know, fan bases they care about, but it's not something that like directly impacts them. It only impacts them, you know, usually down the line. And there's some things that obviously happen that, you know, will will play uh, a big piece of it because it's more of like an executive position. But, you know, there's a lot of different ways you can go with it. And the reality is, I mean, do, do people know athletic directors' names who really aren't at their school? Or do you have an idea of someone that could get in? So I, I don't know if there's a big allure to be able to go and find that and find that person and understand who they ultimately are as well. So Bobby, I floated this out yesterday and I know that conference expansion isn't at the top of the agenda right now for the big 10, but we know it's bound to happen for big 10 and sec that we're probably going to see 20 team conferences at some point. There is some sort of antitrust issue that just got cleared with Congress that now allows the Ivy leagues to offer athletic scholarships. Um, Big Ten's big on academics. There's no doubt about that. NIL is going to be a big part of what happens. What's to stop the Big Ten from adding Harvard and Yale to their conference as two of the teams, two of the programs, if they're now offering athletic scholarships? And with NIL money and with those prestigious universities upping the academics in an already great academic conference, I don't. I see a path for those teams to be very competitive in the Big Ten eventually once they start building their programs with the amount of kids who'd want to go get a degree from those universities. What do you think, Bobby? So I liken it a little bit to the service academies. And guys, you were, you know go back if you're students of history of the game, and I think that both of you are, and you remember how good you know the Harvards, the Yales, you know, Army, Navy, even up through the 70s ultimately were. Um, and then they made a decision that, you know what, we're not going to be involved involved you know, in big time athletics, especially football, maybe to the degree that we have been. And so they made a choice about how they were going to operate. Now, the Ivy League, apparently they're allowed to do this. Does this mean that they ultimately will? And do the people at Harvard and Yale and some of the other Ivy Leagues, would this be something that would be important to them? I think it could be beneficial to the school. I think it would help raise their profile, but do they want it raised anymore? There's a lot of internal questions that they're ultimately going to have to ask. But when you look at Harvard's endowment, you're talking, you know, $30 billion endowment, you know, one of the biggest, the biggest in the country. There are some plays that if they ultimately wanted to do that, 
they'd be able to have success. And like you said, it wouldn't be an overnight thing. But there's a lot of students that look at this, and I think guys look at the long term now saying, hey, I could go there, I could get paid, I'd have a big platform, I'd get into a major media market, I would be able to benefit myself. And the thing that people don't realize, you don't necessarily just go to Ivy League schools for the education. You go there for the networking and you go there for the connections and what that would provide to those guys, assuming you become a great player, you play in the NFL and you have a little capital in your pocket, the opportunities that would be there would be immense. They would far exceed and surpass anything you, you would ever be able to do in football. And I think guys now understand that from a business sense. So I think, yeah, for the Big Ten, it could ultimately make sense and there could be a pathway for that to happen. But I think that's something internally some of those schools would ultimately have to ask themselves is, is this a, uh, is this a path that we ultimately want to go down? Bobby, you bring up a great point, and I, I'm with you. I think the Big Ten would way more want to do this before a lot of Harvard and Yale or Ivy League alums would want it because they would feel like, oh, we're now devaluing our education because to have a big, bad football team, we're going to have to take guys that otherwise wouldn't be getting into Harvard and Yale, and that's going to hurt the prestigious record of the university, and it's going to be a lot of blowback uh, from alums and people with a lot of money, I think, to make that happen. And I, I, I see it as a win for the Big Ten. I see it as a, as a football fan and a sports fan, a big win for those schools too. But I think you hit the nail on the head with what the big stumbling block could be. Yeah, I mean, because you said it was prestigious. I think they, they actually pronounce it as prestigious Yes. Uh, when you're talking. <laughs> yeah, about, sorry. So Clearly it's, didn't it's go to little, Ivy League school. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a little higher level. I, guys, we've seen – you know, Georgia Tech, now it's been a number of years, but Georgia Tech be really good in football. We've seen, you know, uh, Northwestern be very good. We've watched Stanford be really good. You watched Vanderbilt be dominant in baseball. It's not that you can't be good at those things and still have high-level athletics. You're going to attract a certain type of kid who says, hey, I understand this. I can play the long game here. And, you know, they're going to have to make some exceptions, but it's not like you're getting guys in with a 98.6 body temp, and that's all you need to walk through the door. You can find players who are intelligent, who understand all of this. Like, you go back. It's ultimately about the decision that they choose to make and what they value. Yeah, no, no, no doubt about it. Um, you're good buddies with A.J. Hawk on, on Pat McAfee's yeah. show. Uh, the weekly visits with Aaron Rodgers, and now Aaron Rodgers saying, you know, he's comfortable being the villain for people that had a problem with his stance on COVID. Uh, we had a discussion about this in the first segment of the show, but I'm just curious to get your thoughts, Bobby, as someone who knows A.J. Hawk really well. Uh, it's a great get for that show. Just overall, what do you make of those weekly appearances with Aaron Rodgers, and is there something a little bit different that comes out with Aaron Rodgers when he goes on that show versus when he's talking to media any other time? Well, I think you're getting to see a guy at that point who's really candid, who is going to – you know, sit there and be open and honest. You know, he played with AJ for about a decade. Um, you know, he comes in for AJ's birthday. You know, I get to see Aaron usually once or twice a year. And he'll come fly in for AJ's birthday. We'll hang out, have dinner. You know, it's a good time. And I think you see a guy who is much more relaxed because he's just having a conversation with guys he knows. You know, and AJ and then Pat played as well. And so there's a comfort level there that as a current player – you know that they're not, there's no gotcha questions, and they're going to give you a platform to kind of talk and you know and spew, uh, spew your opinion. And it may not be popular, but you know what you're okay with it. So the fact that Aaron you know kind of went down that road is kind of unique. He's a very interesting guy. He's very introspective. Like he looks at the world. 
in a lot of different ways. Maybe some ways that you know a lot of football players don't look at it. He's been playing for a long time. So yeah, I, I love it. I mean, it's a chance to really take a look behind the curtain of you know what a guy is actually like as opposed to you know someone sitting up there being super polished and you know, I'm running around media days for the Peach Bowl and for the national championship. And we all these guys are delivering delivering, you know, 15 to 30 second sound bites that they've been coached up on. You know, Aaron's sitting there and giving you a long form and giving you real answers. And the uh, irony is everybody in the media and all the fans, everyone wants real answers. They want guys to be honest. And so when them being honest, isn't what you actually want to hear anymore. I just wish uh, we didn't have to rinse and repeat the same storylines with them, Bobby. That's my biggest thing. <laughs> I mean, we've been through this last year, you know, and I, I hate the fact that we have to go back down the path of where he's going to play and whether or not he's at odds with Green Bay. Well, I think the reality of that is because they underperformed this year. You knew that there was a gaping hole, a wide receiver. They tried to address it in the draft. And believe me, they got better as the season went on on the perimeter, but it was almost a little bit too little too late. And so whenever you're in the waiting moments of a guy's career, and let's be honest, Aaron's played more games than he's going to play, Yeah, that we start analyzing what's their best pathway to a championship. And whether that's Aaron Rodgers, whether that's Tom Brady, you know, whether you're talking about guys in the NBA, whatever it might be, you always try to figure out where's the best place they can win here in the short term. And you have to ask yourself that question about Green Bay. Bobby Carpenter, our guest. One of the things uh, undervalued, underrated about Nick Saban is you mentioned the, what they're trying to replace in Green Bay. Saban is once again replacing an offensive and defensive coordinator in the same offseason for the fifth time. And I have no doubt, we discussed this yesterday, no doubt he's going to find the right guys that will come in and help them win and, and compete at a championship level. Is that the big separation between Saban and the rest of college football when it comes to finding guys that can just plug and play and plug and coach in this case? Well, number one, you know they're willing to pay and compensate guys. And so they're going to bring in guys who are – talented coaches and I think people want to coach with guys they respect and who they know know the game and that's Nick Saban especially on the offensive side of the ball he's going to give you a lot of autonomy defensively he's kind of grown a lot of those guys internally and so we've watched guys kind of grow up through the ranks and then leave offensively hey we'll bring him in but he makes you basically the head coach of ultimately the offense now he's going to be hard on you he's going to lean on you and that's why that that shelf life isn't 10 years and I don't think he wants guys there 10 years because you have to spin it and keep it fresh. But you look ultimately at Clemson, you know, when you hire an offensive coordinator and then have to fire him after a year, you know, due to the fact that the production isn't there, that's not a good thing. And so Nick has done a really good job of landing on those guys. And even if it's him and Lane who appear to be at odds half the time, you know, they had success and he's done with a multitude of guys because he empowers them and he holds them accountable at the same time. O'Brien was there for two years, to your point. Now he's back in New England with, you know, Belichick, who, of course, has the ties to Saban, but we know O'Brien has the ties from the Brady era from 2007 to 2011. Now he's there with Mac Jones. I don't know what they were trying to do a year ago in Foxborough, but this makes way more sense, bringing in O'Brien to work with their now third, third-year QB. Well, and you got to think, too. I mean, he was there with Mac Jones or in Alabama, I believe, at one point. So, you know... There's that connection there, understanding of what they've ultimately done offensively and maybe trying to bring out the best in him as a player. And so you got to think Bill O'Brien's done it for a long time. You know, he may be kind of abrasive 
he's going to be tough. He's probably going to be hard on him. But if you're Mac Jones, this is probably the best situation or scenario you could have ultimately asked for with the track record that Bill O'Brien has. Bobby, I see that Cowboys helmet behind you on the bookshelf, so I have to ask about the Cowboys. Um, how difficult of a spot are they in right now? Everybody's talking about the the post on social media that buried Dak Prescott and his performance from the team. Um, you got Jerry Jones saying, hey, given a year, we're back in the same spot. I'll still take Dak Prescott in that in that situation. Where do you think they are right now as a team, and what is the best course of action for these Cowboys? Well, you know, part of it is you had some injuries with Dak, obviously, earlier this year. So that's going to be tough. This was not his best year by any stretch, but he looked like he was playing his best football at the end of the season. He shredded Tampa. And then I think we realized that was more a function of Tampa's defensive ineptitude than actually maybe Dallas's offensive prowess. Because then they go play Sam Fram, getting some pressure on him. You know, he didn't look near as uh, effective. The windows were much tired to throw into. And I was surprised that Dak didn't run it a little more, to tell you the truth. I thought there were some windows for him to step up, especially late in the game, and get it done. But I'm not going to make this all about Dak. They had injuries on the offensive line. Uh, there was some struggle right there. I thought Kellen Moore did a great job calling the game in the first half. Not quite as good in the second half. Tony Pollard got hurt. And listen, these are things that all teams have to deal with. And they're not excuses, but they are explanations for a little bit. But the reality is next year they're getting a year older. Guys are getting more expensive. Production's going to begin to decline at some point. And they have to continue to retool that team. And so that offensive line that we used to just hold in high esteem for so long, like they're not the same offensive line they were. They have to continue to improve and reinvent it. And Dak has got to play much, much better next season. I mean, that's just the reality of it. Because that defense with Micah Parsons, I think is going to be good for a while. But you've got to figure out how to get a more consistent offense. All of a sudden, uh, Zeke Elliott, wants, he's willing to restructure to stay in Dallas. You mentioned Tony Pollard breaking his ankle uh, as he goes into unrestricted free agency. Um, that benefits Dallas, not Pollard. Um, do you run it back with the same backfield, or, or do you address this in the draft and move on from Zeke? Um, I think you're, if you can run it back with Pollard, I mean, I think if you can find a way to sign him, you do it. I think Zeke, like you said, he's willing to take a pay cut. What ultimately that looks like, you know, we'll have to see what a – amicable number would be for both sides you know Zeke might not be the home run hitter production wise but what I don't know guys if you watched him pick up that one third down where yeah you know, there was a defensive lineman in his lap a yard deep and somehow he was able to convert that like there is still value that he has and he's well liked on his team and he is a tempo setter so if you can have that one two punch next year I think that that's pretty good for you you have to hope that Pollard is ultimately healthy you have to hope you can get to a reasonable number with Zeke where he's paid for the level of production he's bringing right now. And then you've got, like I said, clean up that offensive line a little bit. And then you've got to hope Dak plays better and plays more like the guy you saw a couple years ago. Would Ohio State AD Gene Smith make a good Big Ten commissioner if that was the choice? I think he would. I just, you know, I, know, I, don't, I just don't know if he really wants it at this point. I mean, it, he's a little bit older. And generally, when you hire these commissioners, you're looking at someone who's going to be in the mix for probably seven to ten years. You know, with Gene, I could see him maybe you know being at Ohio State for the next three to five years. You know, if that, he's a little bit older. He's been doing this for a long time. And he's got a nice functional machine running at Ohio State. Do you really want to go and try to take over other people's problems and try to develop a consensus, you know, from schools now that are coast to coast and all have different agendas? That's, it's a hard job, man, being a conference commissioner. You know, it's like stinking being a, you know, a, 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 one of the 
majority whips or minority yeah. whips in Congress. And you got to go around and like lobby to get people on your side to make sure you have the votes and that everybody's doing the same thing, that everybody has the same idea of how things should look. So it's not an easy job, and I don't envy anyone who wants to do it. Bobby, always great conversation, man. Great perspective. And uh, we'll continue to be listening to you um, and, and Jacob on SiriusXM Channel 84. Appreciate you. Appreciate it, guys. You have a good one. Bobby Thanks, Carpenter Bobby. joins us weekly for a, a good college football chat. I I like Gene Smith as one of, uh, I mean, top options. I don't know. Uh, I am surprised that we're not hearing more names, though. Because the Bobby raises the a good, Kevin a good Warren point. hire was out of the blue, though. Yeah, Gene Smith is highly respected and very powerful amongst all of college sports in his yeah. position as AD at Ohio State. And Bobby does bring up a good point about does he really want that new type of challenge at this point in his life and career where he's been at Ohio State for so long and led that athletics department and done a great job doing so? Uh, I, I, I don't know that that's the case. I keep going back to, are we going to get some outside the box look for someone? Someone that's you know working as a, a CEO at McDonald's right now. I don't name the company right. that's just a dynamic leader that could come in and, and do some things. We've seen it with the Pac-12. We've seen it with the Big 12. They both went outside the box and didn't just go hire some administrator or someone that's been with the conference office for years, a la Greg Sankey mm -hmm. getting the promotion. When Mike Slive uh, passed away, when he retired, then passed away. So, will the Big Ten also now follow that trend of going a bit outside the box? It sounds like Jim Phillips is sort of the leader in the clubhouse. That's the one name I keep hearing from everyone that he would leave as ACC commissioner to take the job in the Big Ten. Well, and I think that shows, well, it makes total sense to leave the ACC what they're locked into right now, contractually, oh, yeah. with their television contracts. It's set up for success. And the other thing, too, is... I'm intrigued by the hire uh, so much because of the direction that we're headed in college athletics. This is not just about the Big Ten. Whoever they hire is in lockstep with Sankey as the most powerful men, women in college sports and athletics. And that goes ahead of the NCAA, who is powerless in, in many cases when it comes to the top issues that we're discussing on a daily basis. The hire will certainly shape the future of the two most high-profile sports in college. In this country, college football, college basketball. And if you get it wrong. Outside of other sports, those are the two main things that get the most eyeballs, and they are going to be shaped in some part by this hire. Yeah, and if you get it wrong, it's Sankey and then everyone else. Yeah, and, and you're right. It's not just the Big Ten. Yeah. Because these two people, whoever they hire in the Big Ten, Sankey and whoever the next Big Ten commissioner will be, they will be a driving force in shaping what major college sports looks like for the next 20 to 30 years. Coming up, we air our top grievance of the week. Primary complaint next on Outkick 360. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Coming up, 
Philadelphia Eagles analyst Mike Quick will be on the show. We'll preview Eagles 49ers. Chad, right now, though, each and every time, at each and every week at this time. Every Wednesday, say, right now. about this. Uh, this time. It is time for Primary Complaint. It's time to air our top grievance of the week. You can complain all you want. My job is so unfulfilling. Don't run away from your feelings. It's time for Primary Complaint on Outkick 360. My primary complaint this week is this ridiculous addition to the Twitter app, the For You tab versus the Following tab. This is so stupid. The For You tab right now as I pull it up. For me, Chad. Watch this terrifying footage of a whale just inches before a dock. Harsh criminals in Singapore. When will you retire? Find out here. Happy birthday, Wes Durham. Wes, I love you. I don't need to know this. And a brunette is bending a coat hanger on her head. Um, for me, the people I'm following, that's for me on Twitter. That's my primary complaint. Hutton's algorithm is very heavy with animals I, in peril, I skipped apparently, the porn. based on, on what they're, uh, they're finding there. Uh, my primary complaint, so reports are out that LSU made a $1 million mistake with Brian Kelly. They overpaid him by a little more than a million dollars in his first year as head coach. My primary complaint is not that. It's that it's not me that's ever had something like this happen to them. Somebody, please, that pays me anything, make this level of mistake with me. I'm mad, and my complaint is that I'm not Brian Kelly right now reaping the benefits of what happened with him and LSU. That is my primary complaint. Chad? At least they didn't steal this from a children's hospital. Ooh. Not too soon, though, Davey. When you steal from a children's <laughs> hospital, it's never too soon. So I, I grant you permission to make that joke. Absolutely. Well done. I appreciate it. Guys, today, my primary complaint. Last week, I was out with COVID, and I could not sleep. At 3 a.m. one night, I was just scrolling through, and I came across something I had never seen before. And it has to do with the 7-Eleven logo. If you guys look at this, the N is lowercased. All the other letters are uppercase. And I just had to find out why this was. And really the going theory is there's not a real reason as to why this was the case. They made the change in 1969. If you look back at the old logo and I just, I don't know why, but my OCD is giving me problems. I can at least say with the old logo, if you look at it, just green and red. I mean, if you were colorblind, you would have some issues there. They added a little bit. I guess it's like a yellow or an orange. I'm not colorblind, but uh, on, on the new one, I just don't understand why they decided to change this. And it's also called 7-Eleven because they were open from 7 to 11, but now they're open for 24 hours. So it just doesn't make sense for their entire logo. And I can never drive by a 7-Eleven now and not just stare at that atrocity. And that is my primary complaint. There's, I will never unsee this now. There was the probably, yeah, that, that's good. There's probably some sort of trademark issue with the Kiefer Sutherland show, 24, <laughs> as to why they couldn't change from 7-Eleven to 24. Um, I see 7-Elevens popping up all over the place around Middle Tennessee. Uh, all of a sudden, I didn't know, the, it, I, I didn't see a lot of them here. No, yeah, and now I feel like every time I turn around, there's a new one that's going up. Also, with logo changes, I think specifically with when you change the logo to something, I feel like everyone in marketing is just like, well, if we'll do this one, we like it, but if, if it doesn't work, we can just go back to the old one 15 years from now, and then it'll be vintage. 
right? Like all these companies can just go back to the original logo. And then it's, well, we're trying to get a more classic feeling to our product and our brand now. So we went back to the original logo. So you always have the option to do that. So they really don't have an explanation for why they changed it to a lowercase n. That, that, I don't believe them. They said there was a theory that the wife of the founder, whose last name was Thompson, like old man Thompson, his wife was like, ah, that just looks too harsh with the capital N. (laughs) So let's make it lowercase. But that's not confirmed. That's the only thing I could find. And I I spent way too much time on this. But by the way, 7-Eleven, the most popular convenience store in the world. So to to them just going up constantly, Chad, that's that's why. I mean, the... What's with the hatred of the capital N? Like I never thought of the N as being an abrasive letter. Uh, what's the most abrasive letter to look at and see? It's called change for the sake of change. Which I'll, I'm totally I'll tell you against. one that I hate with, with cursive writing. You know, back when they taught cursive writing, which they really don't anymore in school. When you had to write the capital Q, that's <laughs> abrasive. It's like an what? L but backwards. Oh, see the, the capital Q in, in cursive. The the worst was the Z in cursive. That one's bad too, but the the Q made no sense to me. Looking at it versus it in print versus cursive, the Q was a very odd capital letter. We'll have to have a ranking at some Q, point. Yeah, when it's not Q football season, we'll I'm rank the everything. most abrasive to least abrasive letters when they're capital. You were lucky; you only had four letters to write for your name. That's true. Well, congrats. <laughs> lucky and unlucky that those, <laughs> that those four letters spelled out Chad. That's the unlucky part of it. Uh, Mike Quick, another short name, but a great player and a, a great, great analyst. Name. He joins us from Philly. We'll preview Eagles and Niners Way next on Outkick 360. Way better.